On Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to iCommunicate. Good to be back with you here. And uh, today's a great day, but it's become even a better day because the best producer and contributor on the talk show I know is back in town here today filling in for a colleague's day off. Ted, you know how happy I am to have you back. It is my pleasure to be with you. <laughs> it's awesome. So so we're talking today about a phrase that I think is a really flawed phrase, and it's thrown around a lot, and the phrase is never give up. And, you know, it got me thinking. I coached a baseball team this summer in Westboro, here in Westboro, Massachusetts, and um, we were fortunate enough this past week we won the championship. It was really exciting. All right. And uh, it reinforced for me, going through this experience, I hadn't been a head coach in baseball in a few years, and it reinforced for me the importance of mindset and attitude and succeeding at anything. Um, I don't know that these kids were the most talented in the league. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But, you know, to me, the mark of any good team, and this is how I've always believed in coaching, whether it's as a sports coach, as a leader, is every person on the team feels like they have a role and they can contribute. And the thing about the phrase never give up, that what got me thinking about that is it's such an easy throwaway line. And the problem with the line is that when you think about how often you've heard that, it feels like it's being told to you at one of your weakest moments, when you're about to quit, when you're feeling vulnerable, when you don't feel like you have the confidence to persevere and move forward and do something. And in the workplace, one of my biggest pet peeves about the phrase never give, give up is we're always, we're always pushing core competencies around resiliency and determination and grit and, and, and words like that. The problem is, is I don't want people to put their head down and keep moving forward for hours and days and weeks without looking up and realizing maybe it is time to give up. Maybe you have the wrong goal. Maybe you have the wrong approach, and because you'd, you've been told you should never be a quitter and you don't want to be labeled a quitter, you actually don't stop and ask yourself, wait, am I going about this the right way? So it's flawed. And the three factors, I've talked about this on the show previously, the three factors that make up a person's confidence are how you see yourself, how others see you, and how you think others see you. And Ted, I don't know about you, but the peer and societal pressure about being seen as a quitter, I want nothing to do with that. Oh, yeah, but it's over the top. I mean, the way people behave, it's, like you said, a throwaway line. So they are waiting for the opportunity to toss it out there. They are. So it's almost like it's baited when you hear it. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I look at giving the, the phrase giving up. So... First of all, you can give up on yourself, right? And so that's why I use the example of baseball. There was a kid on my team who first, I think it was 10, 11 at-bats of the year, not only didn't get a hit, but he looked like he didn't have a prayer or a chance to get a hit. But then all of a sudden he broke through and had the confidence and stuck with and the coaching staff kept him feeling confident and positive. But the first thing is, 
And Ted and I have talked about this when we refer to emotional intelligence. It starts with managing yourself, right? So you, if you give up on yourself, if you don't believe in yourself, regardless, you don't have a shot. And then it comes to giving up on a task, giving up on a project, or giving up on your team or individuals on your team. And part of what we're trying to understand today is what are the factors that cause people to give up, which are basically, in a nutshell, confidence, skills, knowledge, and feeling like you have the support to succeed. So that's easy. Like Those are the things that the high-level things that cause people to give up. So think about that for a second, Ted. The fourth one, let's talk about the fourth one, support. So if I'm going to take on a task or a project or something that I don't have a lot of experience or familiarity with, then if I think that I don't have proper support and I'm going to be judged or criticized or ridiculed, I'm likely to not even take on that challenge in the first place. So we're talking about support as a key factor in leading people so they don't give up. And understanding why people are tending to give up. If you are a leader and you notice someone on your team has little confidence and you give them tasks or projects that they don't typically follow through or finish in a timely manner and they're not asking questions, do you think if you walk over to that person and say, listen, biggest thing here is just don't give up, what the heck does that even mean? Teach people how not to give up. Ted, um, as a team leader, or let, let's say sales manager, whenever I came into contact with someone that was losing heart and feeling as, you know, you could see it on their face that if they dialed one more call, if they talked to someone about what their experience was, they were just going to cry. You know, you could see it coming on. And... I, I am guilty of walking up to people and saying, don't give up. But I always added this because I learned it from an artillery commander that had been in Korea. And he said, it's not about giving up. It's about adjusting. So I would always say, don't give up. Just adjust. Make an adjustment and find your target. And when you find that target, obliterate it. And I would try to charge them up with some very basic, <laughs> you know, forward reconnaissance about the work they were doing. And that usually would lift someone out from the, the that I can't do it point of view. Well, I, I love that, Ted. I actually think that's really valuable. And I think where I want to go today on the show is I want to look at um, – when it does become a toxic phrase and some things leaders can look at when understanding the benefit of giving up. And here's the thing, Ted, I, I've said this on the show before. I, I'm not always a fan of the word potential because potential assumes that you know how much po potential someone has. Parents do that with kids all the time. You know, they get good grades in math well, you have so much potential. So if they stop getting a good grade in math, well, they're not fulfilling their potential. It could have nothing to do with that. Why aren't they, quote unquote, fulfilling their potential? So the question is, when, when is that the wrong advice, right? When is it time to give different advice? And it all starts with recognition. And it all starts with self-awareness. 
And the first example, when I coach, I always talk about is when it's just the right thing to do. And I'm going to give you an example, Ted, specifically. Let's say I have a goal to lose 10 pounds, okay? And let's say to achieve that goal that I've given myself a sub-goal of working out 90 minutes a day, okay? Well, if I don't stick with my 90 minutes a day, well, I guess I didn't persevere. I'm a quitter. But by putting in that 90-minute goal, you might be taking away from time with your family. It might be creating too much stress and anxiety for you because you give, gave yourself too big of a goal out of 90 minutes a day. So if, you're, if you want to lose 10 pounds and you give yourself a sub-goal of working out 90 minutes a day, if you can't hit that goal, then you'll tell yourself in many cases you're a quitter and see, I guess I can't do it. And that's what affects the confidence as opposed to it's not black and white where you either put your head down and drill forward at 90 minutes a day where that's unmanageable or you just give up altogether. There can be a middle ground, which is just to reduce the intensity of your goal, right? But that doesn't mean you're giving up. So there are a lot of times where we set unreasonable goals for ourselves, hence the word in the, in the term smart goals, the A being attainable, the R being realistic, right? So if you set goals that aren't attainable and realistic, then what happens is you may need to give up. It may be good for your, your health, your mental, your emotional and physical health, because the pressure to achieve that goal could be taking away from other aspects of your life. So, again, it's not black and white, and so it's not never give up. So, and here's the thing, Ted, we all have support systems. We all have different kinds of friends we go to for different kinds of support. So, Ted, if I called you up, and I really want to know what you would say in this exact example. If I said to you, hey, Ted, um, and by the way, Ted's an example of people in your life who you're friendly with. You may not talk to them a lot, but you love to see them and you love to visit with them when you're around. Thanks, Mark. So, but I call up Ted and I go, Ted, I'm really feeling down on myself because I set this goal to lose weight. I don't like how I look. And I feel like if I don't follow through with that, I'm just going to go right back to my old patterns. And I feel like it's a little bit of being a quitter. What would you tell me? Well, Mark, I've never been in your shoes right now, but having had similar experiences in my life, I find that if I just adjust my target and I adjust my goal, I will have success in some form. If, if, if Listen to what Ted just said. If, you're, if you are feeling the temptation to quote-unquote give up, and I'm going to keep doing that quote-unquote give up because I don't like the meaning of it. If you're feeling the temptation, the question is Why? And that's where leaders come in. That's where effective leaders come in. They say, geez, you look like you're kind of down on yourself. You look like you're not feeling confident in achieving this. What's going on? I've given the example in the past, and if you've listened to the show, you know I'm a huge sports fan. So it's it's akin to when I've given the example when coaches tell kids, shake it off. Just shake it off. What does that mean? Kids don't know what to do with shake it off. You know? And... I know what coaches mean, right? And they're saying them to, you know, as Bill Belichick says, move on to Cincinnati and forget everything else that's going on in the moment. It's just not always that simple. 
So when you have someone in your life, I don't care whether you're a leader or someone on your team, you're a parent, you have a child, you're a coach on a sports team, you have an athlete, if, there's a, if, if you're talented enough, and I'm putting talented in caps, if you're talented enough to be recognizing when someone is feeling those things, because that's really where it starts, you're paying attention, and you're not running around being busy all the time and not reading cues and seeing body language and and, and listening to people's tone and word choice, that's where it all starts. So if you're talented enough to recognize something's going on, the first step is dissecting what the actual problem is. And when we come back from our first break, I'm going to expand on that. For I Communicate, this is Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, we're talking about the uh, polarity of the phrase never give up and why it's a flawed expression. And really, maybe not flawed, but incomplete. It's an incomplete expression. And Ted and I were talking in the break and... You know, it's funny. When I when I hear leaders or people in a position of authority, here's some phrases I typically hear them say when they do recognize and identify people are on the verge of giving up. This is one of my personal flavors. Hey, we don't quit in this family. You know, um, don't share the importance of work ethic or perseverance. I can see a leader saying, come on, you know how important it is to, to work hard and to persevere. And And a lot of people in authority just say, look, it's really important not to give up. And those are those are just empty. And when you think about what are better ways to handle people who may be on the verge of giving up and feeling a bout of lost confidence, ask them what's going on, what's holding them back. Now, here's a perfect example in baseball, right? So let's say a kid is struck striking out a lot. So when a coach says to a kid who's striking a lot, hey, don't give up, you'll figure it out eventually, figure what out? I, I don't know if this kid, and I talked to my team about this this year, I said, so th- Ted, so here's, a, here's actually a live example of what I'm talking about. It's perfect, right? right? Excellent. So in baseball, I don't know, how, you know, at, at an age, what we say is when there's a pitching change, when the other team makes a pitching change, we tell the people, our, our team members, to watch him warm up so they get a gauge how fast he is, how slow he is, does he throw curveballs, whatever. Give yourself so, the advantage. Right? But but the coaches don't say that. The coaches will just say, new pitcher, watch him. And so two games go by, and every time there's a pitching change on the other team, I see my kids goofing around, not even paying attention. So the next practice I go, hey, I have a question for you guys. Do you have any idea why we ask you to watch the pitcher, the new pitcher? Do you have any idea? And most of them are like, of course not. They don't. They're like, I, what do you mean? I, I don't know. Just want us to see what he, how he throws. Yeah. I said, look at when you're in the on deck circle, your job is to be formulating a plan of success, visualizing success, watching the pitcher, watching the batter before you, and see what he mistakes that that person makes. 
in visualizing success. And they all kind of looked at me and they're like, oh, okay. Now, I could have said stop goofing around and pay attention, but I gave the why. I gave the context. So, so here's where I'm going. If you tell a kid that's striking out a lot, don't give up, you'll figure it out, that's bad advice unless they know, unless the kid knows why he's striking out a lot and what he needs to do differently. Mm-hmm. And there's too often we're making statements, Ted. I feel like leaders talk and make statements so much. And there, there's so many opportunities where leaders should be asking questions and instead they're making statements. You're, you're pushing one of my buttons now. I have for years not been able to call even elected people leaders mm. because they're elected officials and they're not in this day and age they are not demonstrating leadership so can can we say coaches can we say people of authority in the group but i i'm i'm having real difficulty with the word leadership these days well actually actually and, and I very rarely talk about politics, if at all, on this show. But I will say one thing. I think if you ask most people in this country, whether they're Democrat or Republican or whatever they are, most people have given up on politics. So talk about never give up. There is such a lack of confidence in whoever's been in office for the last, present and past that that's a prime example. And so, so the funny thing about that is, right— And someone called me on this, Ted, because I have very little confidence in politicians. So someone called me. So they said, so you have no confidence in any politician? And I said, well, I don't know if I'd be willing to say zero in zero, but I would say that in the experiences I've had in recent years, yes, I have very little confidence. So the thing is, is the phrase when we give up on people and when we give up on things, we tend to use broad expressions, broad strokes yes. when we give up. When a it's wide not, brush. Wide yes. brush. It's not that all politicians are bad. There are some politicians that are good. I haven't seen a lot in the last several years, but there are some. They're, they must be out there. But the point is, if there's a tendency to give up on people, because we haven't even talked about that, giving up on people. How about relationships, people in your family, siblings, parents, close friends? How about when people don't respond to you when you want to hang out with them and they always tell you they're busy? Well, I'm not going to reach out to them anymore. They clearly aren't interested in hanging out. So, look, the bottom line is it goes back to what we said before the first break, and that is when someone is feeling the tendency to give up on people, on scenarios, on tasks, on projects, whatever it is, it's time to ask questions. It's not time to make statements. And I have to tell you, one of the most important things I ask people, and I don't care whether it's a kid or an adult, is if you're feeling like you want to give up on something, I want to know why you had that goal in the first place. And does that goal tie into a bigger aspiration, a bigger dream, and a bigger passion? If I'm trying to help a kid not strike out as much, and the kid looks at me and says, honestly, coach, I don't see myself playing baseball after this season. I'm really just in, in this to hang with my friends and, and have fun, okay, I might adjust how I coach that person, it's, right? Well, the, the clarity of statement allows you to help the person. Without the clarity or defining terms, it's, you're unable to help the person effectively. 
Well, that that Ted, that's that's essential. And when you make statements, you're not helping. You're assuming and giving your point of view and your agenda. When right. you ask questions, it becomes about them and what's holding them back. Right. You know, another question, you know, I ask is, you know, because you're pushing so hard for this goal, for this success, you know, what's what's being lost in the process? So the example I gave what'd with the 90 minute workouts, what'd you miss? So look, that's the first thing. The second thing, right? We talk about you know a goal. The first the first problem was um, sometimes giving up is the right thing to do, right? And then the second thing is we talked about this earlier. Society attaches a stigma to giving up that you're a quitter. So you may have, it may be 100% in your best interest to stop. And I'm going to change finally, we're almost halfway into the show, and I'm going to change the, the word, the phrasing of giving up. It may be in your best interest to look up, reassess, and adjust what you should be doing moving forward. But see, if yeah, you've so- got to be willing to make that adjustment. And if, if you're so worried about how other people are going to perceive you as a quitter, and that's going to be your primary critical decision-making factor, then you're going to be pursuing a lot of things that you have no business pursuing. And then perseverance, you're going to raise your hand and say, look at me, persevere. Look at how determined I am. And then the next thing I'm going to say to you is, geez, why did you do that for so long? Like, why did you stay that? Ted, we see this in marriages all the time. How often do a man or a woman in a marriage, or even it could be a, a gay marriage for that matter, but how often does someone in a marriage say, well, I, I'm just going to stay with them for the kids? And you know what? Every time I talk to a, a man or a woman who tells me they're staying in the marriage solely for the kids, this is what I say to them. I said, have you ever stopped to wonder that you're modeling dysfunctional behavior? So whatever favor you think you're doing by right. keeping a, the nuclear family, quote unquote, if they're seeing arguing, if they're seeing two people on a daily and weekly basis not getting along, your perseverance and determination to stay in that marriage, in my opinion, keyword being opinion, it's the wrong decision. What One of the rules of leadership, whether it be in a family or in an organization or within a group of friends is that you present an example because just like children, they can only do based on the example that was set. That's right. They have no other reference. That's right. And in a team environment, it's the same dynamic. In a work dynamic, it's the same dynamic. People are going to gravitate toward the example set. I mean, Ted, I'm going to be vulnerable for a minute. I remember, so I'm divorced twice. And I remember when I was thinking about getting divorced my second time, I remember thinking to myself, I mean, it was absolutely the right decision. We didn't get along. We're actually, we co-parent brilliantly since we've got divorced, right? We got to go. Okay. So I'm going to finish this story when I... Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about the polarizing phrase, never giving up. And you know, it's funny. I, I was thinking during the break 
that wouldn't it be crazy if during a job interview you were hiring, interviewing for a leader, and you asked the leader, talk about provocative, and you said, I'd love to know a time you gave up and why it was worthwhile. Like, that means that leader has the skill set and core competency to recognize when it's time to shift gears. I mean, that's powerful right there. And that's the kind of question that isn't asked because there's such a negative connotation with giving up. Now, just to finish the story I had before the break is I was saying that I was on the verge of getting divorced for the second time. And even though in my heart I knew it was the right thing to do, um, I was delaying because I thought, oh, my God, what's everybody going to think of me? Oh, here he goes again. Not good at relationships. You know, family and friends see me as a common thread. I've been divorced twice now. And guess what, Ted? I was the common thread because I sucked at marriage. And so here's the thing. I got so consumed with, you know, what everybody would think of me that I stayed in that marriage longer than I should have, which was a bad decision. And so when we're talking about giving up, that's a you can't come up with a better example than knowing it's time to shift directions for your mental health, for your passion, for your dreams, but you don't because you're worried about what other people are going to think. Now, one of the things that's interesting about our decision of whether or not to give up, Ted, you'll love this, is, is psychological biases, right? So how many, oh, yeah. how many times, how many times, think of something material, uh, a car, a boat, um, a house, anything, where you've had a lot of problems with it and you've put a lot of money into it. Yeah. And you're like, I... I can't give up I now. Give I've up I've now. dumped so much money into this already. How can Man, how can I stop? How can I give up on this? Nice. So there's it's called the sunk cost fallacy, right? Mm-hmm. So you've invested so much time and money into something that it would pain you to give up simply because you would look at it as a waste of time and a loss of money. But again, Giving up could be very appropriate in those situations. No more than appropriate could be the right thing to do. Can, can, can I give you an example that I, ha- I have actually been paid as a consultant to impress this upon business owners? Yes, yes, please. And, and the example I always use is the same example. Today, we have a problem and you can't get past it. Let me give you an example from my life that may help you. I hired a guy to put a bathroom in my home. He agreed to a price. I agreed to pay it. And I went off to do my job and left him to do his. The moment I returned the next hour, he had eight questions for me that had to do with measuring things, cutting things, and installing things. And I asked him, I said, look, this is what I do for a living. This is what you do for a living. Why are you asking me? This is, you know, oh, well, I, I, you know, I've done this and I've done that, but I wanted to be sure it was. I said, look, make the decisions and execute on it. Because I got to go back to my office now and work. Mm -hmm. So I would go away. And when I came back an hour later, he had another series of questions. And do you know what I did, Mr. CEO, Mr. President? I decided that I was going to cut my losses. I paid him for his time and asked him to leave the premises because I knew when it starts off messed up, 
It's going to end up messed up and will cost me more in the long run than just paying this guy and sending him on his way. So maybe that's giving up, but I also think it's a potential for everybody who runs a business to understand that you got to cut your losses sometimes. Well, I mean, Ted, you're talking about probably one of the greatest uh, recognition areas in giving up, which are red flags, right? So so my brother recently got, got redid his kitchen, and talk about a red flag. He ended up having a lot of problems with the guy who did it. Talk about a red flag. The guy said he wouldn't sign a contract, yet my brother went forward anyway. So, like, for if like, think about that, listeners. And and this is the problem. And Ted led into the next point I was going to make. And and I want our listeners to really process what I'm about to say here because it's the most important thing I'm going to say in this show today. When you're learning something, when you're recognizing red flags, or you're listening to a radio show, or you're going to a coach, working with a coach or a trainer or whatever it might be. The idea is to learn it, but then the real effort is to apply it. So if you recognize red flags, but you ignore them, why are you ignoring them if you see them as red flags? So many people, and I'm going to tell you, Ted, one of the reasons is it's the sunk cost fallacy because I've already invested so much time with the person, the solution. So it's like, well, you know, but, but Ted's spot on. That, like, that's a huge thing. So when you listen to this show, when I bring up the cognitive biases, the sunk cost fallacy, when it may be time to shift directions, if you're listening, don't just be sitting there and going, you know, he makes a good point. Be sitting there and identify situations in your own life that you can actually do something about and make some changes and decisions on, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a work situation, whether it's a goal you've set for yourself, it doesn't matter. But the idea is to apply what you learn. People sit day after day reading books, reading blogs, listening to speakers, going to coaching and training, and they don't do anything different. They just want to keep hearing and hearing and hearing, but you've got to do something. One of the things that goes off in my mind every time I hear the expression that knowledge or information is power, I always chuckle and say, it's not the knowledge, it's not the information, it's the person who uses the knowledge and information and activates it and does something with it. That's what makes it powerful. Yep, yeah, that's a great point. And so, so you know, just to wrap up the, the biases, right, there's always the grass is always greener bias. So again, if, you're in a, if you have a job that you've had at eight, for eight years and you're not happy at your job, Here's where the here's where the never give up. I I just got to stick with it, you know. Every but wait a minute, is that because you don't think you get another job? Is that because you don't think you have enough skills or qualities to attract someone to be interested in you? But see, that's another example. The status quo. We stay in 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 situations. We stay in relationships because we don't think we should quit. We don't think we should give up, and we also worry if the grass is greener somewhere else. This is so important at this time in our society and economic events. You can go around, I mean, for instance, if you drive through the center of any one of the towns west of Worcester, you'll see help wanted signs. Mm -hmm. And these are help wanted signs like to work in the DPW, to work in the office at the town, 
Those are state jobs which will give you a pension for life. Yeah. And they are unfilled because people are afraid to make changes or they're unwilling to step outside of what they think they know and take a job that's more labor-oriented. But the fact is, you know, you labor for a couple of years and then you're the truck driver or you're the plow guy and you've got a pension coming when you retire. I, I, I know it's awfully mercenary of me to say it that way, but what you're talking about is so important right now in our economic situation. Well, I think you're right. It's timely. And, you know, and I, I just want to switch gears for one minute because there is real value sometimes to the phrase never give up. Now, Ted, I don't know. There was a story on 60 Minutes last year about a bunch of teens that were stranded on the, in, in the Hawaiian Islands in 1965. And um, they, they decided they were going to, they were at some boarding school, Tonga boarding school. And they took, they decided they were just going to sh- take a cruise to Fiji and build this little rickety boat that that was going to take, they were 15, they didn't know any better. So of course they're eight hours into the journey, the boat starts falling apart and they, they float at sea for eight days, no food, no water floating at sea. They eventually drift to this island and survive on this island. It was like a real-life Lord of the Flies. Like, they survived on this island for 15 months. This story was hidden. Like, people didn't even know about this. And I'm watching these two two survivors still to this day being interviewed on 60 Minutes. And I looked at my son. I'm like, you want to talk about perseverance? Like, that is the ultimate perseverance. And that's why, from a mental capacity, I don't want to paint the picture on this show today that the phrase never give up doesn't have value because it can. But my big, what I'm really trying to say is from a takeaway perspective is from a mental perspective, sometimes you need that to survive. We've seen that in the pandemic with all the, uh, all the challenges people have gone through. So sometimes it's good to have a never give up attitude. But ideally, in the example I'm giving you on the islands, those kids had no other choice. So they had to persevere. They had to find a way to move forward. Although they could have given up and just died. So, Ted, do we have a caller? Okay, Matt, welcome to the show. How are you today? Matt, always great when I hear your voice. Uh, It's great to be here. You know, it's funny. I've heard that story a couple times about those kids. It's unbelievable. They were running away from a boarding school that they hated. Yeah, it's a great, great story. But so... I'm going to quote the the late great Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade, "Death of a Woman." You know, it's it's sometimes making. I'm going to paraphrase, but you know, sometimes making the right decision, which in this case would be trying something new or or, or something like that. It's just too uh, dang hard. We'll just say, not quite exactly his words, but but it's a lot easier every day to just get up and do the same thing. To just get up, throw your boots on, and go to your same job, or not go to work. So it's you know, it's it takes effort to try something new. Not just not just courage or or the the other you know whatever else it is, but you know sometimes it's just an effort thing. And truthfully, we're a lot lazy. You know, our society now is a lot lazier than we used to be. So first of all, Matt, um, you're making me remember the uh, uh, the phrase from Al Pacino: "I take a flamethrower to this school, the Bard School." 
And uh, exactly, I got to tell you, Matt, that is one of my probably three favorite monologues in movie history. When he is in that school, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, great, so, great, so, great movie. so, Matt, what you're talking about right there is is really important because you're talking about getting out of your comfort zone. You know, we talked about uh, the grass being always greener. Well, one of the, you know, it, like 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 he said in Incent of a Woman, it can be dang hard. And it may not be comfortable, and it may not be what you want to do, but it may be not only the better choice, but it may yield you a much higher long-term result. Yes, absolutely. Most, and I would say a lot of the times it is. Because, you know, there's the old saying, and it is a little trite, you know, anything worth having is worth working for. You know, that's not necessarily always true, but there is some, there is a kernel of truth to that. So, Matt, hang with us. We're going to go to our final break, but just hang with us, and we'll resume after the break. Yes, sir. Okay. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. So we're back to I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman here with our guest, Matt. And Matt, I want to pick up, I have a question for you. I I know, I like when you call on the show because you have a lot of leadership experience and you're in restaurant management. And I guess my question is, you know, when I think of servers, uh, especially in in where we're at today, um, there's a lot of stories about servers are taking a beating from patrons because whatever, they're angry or frustrated. So when you are dealing, over the course of your career, when you're dealing with a server whose confidence is down or maybe thinking about quitting, you know, what's your approach to the whole never giving up? What, what, what kind of coaching do you do with servers like that? For me, this is what I try to tell them, and especially since, you know, for the most part, you know, 95% of the time, there's a significant age gap. Uh, and, and I try to make it more about life than necessarily the serving. But what I try to tell them is, is this, is, you know, one number one, and it's obvious, you can't take a person. But number two, the other thing, you know, if for my industry specifically, what I try to tell them is that 99% of the people who come out are looking to have a good time. They're either looking to not cook and enjoy a good meal or have some fun with their time. And what we're all we're doing is facilitating that good time. It's almost like we're a party, we're a party host. Um, and I try to tell them to look at it that way. Um, and that, you know what, you are like every other facet in life. You are going to have some people you come across that are just going to be uh, incessantly negative. And, you know, you, you just can't let it get you. And it's easier said than done because not everybody can do it. Um, and I was as guilty as anybody when I was younger. I would let that stuff irritate me uh, a lot. But that's what I try to pass. And the other thing I try to tell them, too, is especially being in a restaurant, uh, we are not doing brain surgery uh, nor splitting the atom. We are just trying to facilitate a good time. And, you know, if you have a good time, they're more likely to have a good time, too. So, Matt, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. And the curveball is this. One of the things I teach leaders to do is to be vulnerable by sharing their strategies, so let's mm-hmm. say one of your servers said to you, well, Matt, um, you told me just to, you know, um, stay with it, create a good experience for them. But when you've thought about quitting or when you've been in a kind of a bad place, mm-hmm. what are your coping or resiliency strategies sure. you use? How would you answer that? Sure. 
So what I tell them, and it's a, this is what I really use mostly with bartenders because I think it's a little more appropriate, is I tell them at some point you will get overwhelmed. You will get everything thrown at you possibly, and it's going to be just too much. There's not a thing you can do. It's going to be too much. And for me, what I do is I take a step back. I quite literally will step, take two steps back, take a deep breath, and take five, maybe ten seconds, whatever it is, deep breath, just and remind myself what exactly I'm doing. And I will take a look around and take a deep breath and just a, a reset, a hard, like almost like shutting off the computer. I will give myself a hard reset, a deep breath, and then come back and refocus. And I found that works for me. Uh, you know, it's not for everybody, but for me, that's the, you know a great coping mechanism because it, in that five or ten seconds, I remind myself again, what exactly am I doing here? Uh, the, the fate, the fate of the world doesn't uh, rest on my decision in the next ten seconds. Well, Matt, the thing is, is you know, um, it may not work for everybody, but I don't see a downside to it. And mm. you know, frankly, that maybe that's where I'm biased. But I'm going to tell you what you just described. There's a word, a high-level word I use to explain what you do. It's called disruption. And so when you are feeling angry, stressed, disappointed, frustrated, and you are going to react a certain way, what you're proposing is people to disrupt their thought process, mm-hmm. right? Take a couple steps back, pause for 10 seconds. And the, and the way I get people to remember it, Matt, is... I don't know if you and Ted remember, we had back in like the 80s, there was some fire prevention dog. It was stop, drop, and roll. Like that was the things we were taught. Stop, drop, roll, right? So I tell people, stop, think, act, right? So Matt says, take a step back, pause for 10 seconds. That's the stop. Think is, how do I want to handle this situation? Do I want to respond? Do I want to react? And then the act is the actual action itself. But I think it's brilliant advice, Matt. And if you're... If you're coaching your staff to do that, I think the thing that's that's really breaks my heart at times is there's never been a person I've given that kind of advice to that doesn't look at me and go, yeah, okay, I, I can see that, but they don't do it. Yeah. They don't yeah. do it. So yep. because it's, it's, true. it's just easier to be aggravated and overwhelmed, and, and of course it's really not yeah. easier, but, yeah. but for people, it's what we talked about earlier in the show today. Apply what you've learned. If you know, yep. I mean, has there ever been a time where someone said, geez, I waited 10 seconds to say something and it worked against me? <laughs> I know. Like, it's true. I know. I thought something through and I, I wish I hadn't. I wish I had acted more on impulse. Yeah. So, so Matt, thanks for the call. Always, always great call for the show. I really appreciate it. Great show as always, Mark. Thank you. All right. So, so look, everybody, just some final thoughts for the show today. Just, just to get you thinking, you know, there's an expression called trust your gut. All right. It's your intuition. And part of knowing when to shift your, your thought process, shift your attitude, shift your approach, you know, it's not giving up. It's a recognition. And if your gut is telling you, I was telling some friends this past week that literally every time in my life I've had to make a big decision. I mean, almost exact when when the decision is probably not the right decision, I get a stomachache. I mean, it's literally the trusting of the gut. I mean, like no pun intended. And so I think Ted, Ted mentioned the whole example with red flags earlier in the show. This is an example. If you have an intuition that it may be time to do something else, it may be time to be different. 
It doesn't mean you have to act immediately on it, but you know what it means? It means it's time for some self-reflection. It means it's time for a deeper conversation either with yourself and or with some loved ones or people you trust and respect. It doesn't mean if you have an intuition, ignore it. It means it's calling you to think about something differently. And I think about the overarching issue here is a lot of times, and I'm, all, I'm a huge fan of goals. I'm a huge fan of smart goals. But what we're really talking about is letting your goals define you. You know, I did a show a few, actually our show next week is on letting your identity define you. Now we're talking about letting your goals define you. And the problem is, is sometimes when we get so attached to what we want, and I have to tell you, in the last year or two, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic, it probably is because of the pandemic, I find a lot of things that I used to like, I don't really like anymore. And some things I didn't like, I like now. So, you know, there are things I used to never want to eat. There are things I used to never want to do. We are constantly adapting and evolving as people. People get so frustrated and bothered by the word change. People get so thrown off when there's a change of plans or policies or procedures or leadership. We get so thrown off by change. We are constantly in transition. We are evolving as human beings. Change is never going away. And it's time we start embracing and accepting change. And I'm going to leave you with one final thought today. A phrase that I teach leaders to live by. Love it, leave it, or change it. Love it means accept it and stop getting angry about it. Change it means if you think you can do something about it, take some actions to do it. And um, leave it means what we're talking about today. It's time for something different to adapt your mindset. So thank you for listening to another edition of I Communicate. Ted, great seeing you, my friend. Always great to participate in this show. It's uplifting. Thank you. And if you want more information about Mindset Go, it's 978-206. Actually, it's 978-793-1159. What's that number? 978-793-1159 or info at MindsetGo.com. Great stuff. Have a wonderful day. listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.